You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee. And I'm Evan Banks. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's December 3rd. Since the start of the pandemic, Asian Americans have faced a wave of attacks and hate incidents. What triggered this rise in anti-Asian racism and violence? When interviewed by RAND researchers, stakeholders in the Asian American and Pacific Islander, or AAPI, community cited two key causes, public anxiety and fear during the pandemic, and negative rhetoric about AAPI people by prominent public figures. Additionally, almost all of the people who were interviewed brought up long-term, persistent racial equity problems and the lack of services for those in the AAPI community. But there was also some hopeful news revealed from the interviews. It appeared that the recent wave of violence has galvanized the AAPI community, leading to new alliances and resilience, efforts to increase reporting of hate incidents, and the development of strategies to fight anti-Asian racism. Lead author of the study, behavioral scientist Lu Dong, explained why gathering firsthand data is so important. Quote, Compared to other racial and ethnic groups, there is much less information available about the racial inequities that affect the AAPI population. Our analysis represents a step toward addressing this knowledge gap. Now is the time to increase investment in research needed to inform policy and action during and beyond the COVID-19 pandemic, she said. The consensus inside and outside the U.S. government is that the international system is headed for a renewed era of intense and sometimes bitter competition among leading states. And according to a new RAND report, there are serious signs of instability in America's relations with its two key rivals. Russia and China. This suggests that we may be headed toward a more volatile future. To understand the factors driving this trend, the authors examined international relations theory and the history of great power rivalries. Then, they developed a series of recommendations for U.S. decision-makers. One key theme among these recommendations, ensuring stability and avoiding war, requires a nuanced policy response. As lead author Mike Mazar wrote on Twitter earlier this week, quote, The study emphasizes the simple but critical idea that, alongside actions to set red lines, stand up for U.S. interests, and augment deterrence, attending to the requirements of stability in these great power contests will be an equally important priority in managing them. The U.S. is facing a familiar deadline. Congress must raise the debt ceiling by December 15th or risk triggering a financial crisis. These repeated games of chicken with the debt ceiling remind Rand's Edward Geist of the brinkmanship that nuclear strategists have long warned about. More specifically, the way the U.S. has repeatedly flirted with a potentially catastrophic default on the national debt bears an uncomfortable resemblance to the crises of the early Cold War when both sides behaved more rashly because they were convinced that their opponent would be the one to blink first. Similarly, each time Republicans and Democrats go to battle over raising the debt limit, politicians are encouraged to grow more and more inflexible and take harder positions the next time. And the more times this is repeated, 
the less each occurrence seems like a crisis, because none has yet resulted in catastrophe. And as a result, every time this game is played, the more treacherous it becomes, says Geist. Quote, as long as the debt ceiling exists in its current form, the incentives to play chicken over and over again remain in place. And each new confrontation brings the country closer and closer to calamity. The proliferation of messaging forums, social media networks, and other virtual platforms has coincided with a rise in extremist online activity. And even though many platforms make efforts to limit or eliminate extremist content, uneven enforcement policies and the availability of more lenient alternative platforms have allowed extremist movements to continue organizing openly online. A new RAND paper reviews more than two dozen applications and websites, assesses the extremist content that they host, and categorizes them as either mainstream, fringe, or niche. Mainstream platforms are those for which only a small portion of the content would be considered inappropriate or extreme speech. Fringe platforms are those that host a mix of mainstream and extreme content, and where a user might readily come across some extreme content that is coded or obscured to disguise its violent or racist underpinning. And niche platforms are those that openly and purposefully cater to an extreme audience. Niche platforms are obviously problematic because of their explicitly violent and hateful content, but fringe platforms are particularly dangerous because they might be the most likely breeding ground for radicalization. That's because fringe platforms do not explicitly brand themselves as supremacist, and the beliefs that spread on these platforms may be framed as mainstream and widely held. The author's aim is to help users understand where they're more likely to encounter extreme content online, which could help inhibit extremist propaganda by decreasing its appeal, limiting the inadvertent dissemination of extremist materials, and reducing demand. You can find the full paper, which includes assessments of a wide range of online platforms, on RAND.org. New RAND survey results find that striking polarization persists among U.S. experts who study gun policy issues. RAND surveyed 173 gun policy researchers, advocates, and analysts across the ideological spectrum to identify where there might be consensus or opportunities for compromise. The experts we surveyed fell into two basic camps, those who favor more restrictive regulatory approaches to gun ownership and use, and those who favor more permissive regulatory approaches. There was almost no overlap in opinions between the two classes of experts. Notably, most of the differences among these experts don't seem to be driven by different policy goals, but rather by differing beliefs about what individual policies might accomplish. For example, both groups' most strongly preferred goals were to reduce firearm homicides and suicides. But there was strong polarization on which policies they thought would achieve these goals. One of the RAND authors, Andrew Morrell, put it this way on Twitter, The gun policy experts we surveyed differ on factual claims that can be studied and known. And according to lead author Rosanna Smart, Without more and better scientific evidence about the effects of many gun policies, policymakers and the public will simply depend on their own beliefs and the beliefs of the experts that they trust. 
This study expands on an earlier survey of gun policy experts conducted by RAND and is the latest from our Gun Policy in America initiative, which seeks to establish a shared set of facts to improve public discussions and support the development of fair and effective gun policies. For more information, visit rand.org gunpolicy. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered in this episode, check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. We'll see you next week.